good to see you all today. Welcome. Would you turn your Bibles with me, please, to Philippians chapter 4. This morning we have the opportunity to look at the Word of God again, and we're in this current series, Answering Anxiety. Today we'll look at part 5. There's two more texts that I want to share with you so that you'll have them in your arsenal of Scripture to answer the anxieties with which we're often tempted. This first one for this Sunday is uh, Philippians 4, and next week, Lord willing, we'll look at 1 Peter 5, and then we'll return to our study in 2 Timothy. Would you stand with me one more time this morning, and let's read our text together. Philippians 4, verses 4 through 9. Let's read this together in unison. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Join me in prayer, please. Our Father, we are grateful We are your household. You have resurrected us spiritually. You have put your spirit within us. You have called us sons and daughters. You have purchased us with the blood of Christ. And now we are your family. And we are so grateful for that. We are the church of the living God. You are the one true and living God, all-powerful, sovereign, reigning in all the universe, and you live in us because of your Spirit, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, living in unworthy sinners because of the work of the Son. We are so grateful for these things. And so, Father, we come to you this morning. Our hearts are open. We want our hearts to be open. We want you to show us what we are thinking and believing and desiring that is false and idolatrous and untrue. And we want you to replace our thoughts with the truth. We want you to change the way we think, the way we posture in all of life. We want you to change our affections, our desires, so that then the fruit that is born from our lives, the things that we do and say and our attitudes will be different, Christ-like, glorifying to you. And so, Father, we come to you submitting ourselves and putting ourselves under the authority of your word, the inspired, authoritative, sufficient word of God, inerrant in all that it says. And we want to receive it as it is in truth, the word of God. And we want it to be at work in us who believe. And so we ask these things because of Christ, our mediator. We ask these things for your glory and for our good. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Thank you. 
being five parts in now to our study on answering anxiety, I think you can remember the core truth of what we have been discussing, which is that the only answer that powerful, powerfully responds and conquers our anxiety to silence it, to remove it even, is the fear of the Lord. Only the fear of the Lord can replace sinful fears and anxieties. Well, what do we mean by the fear of the Lord? And we've discussed this. It means to know Him as He is, to be in awe of Him in His greatness and goodness. There's a synonym for being in the fear of the Lord is awe, reverence. To love Him and trust Him because of His perfections and His loyal love for us as His redeemed people. And only that kind of biblical fear, only that kind of awe, will answer and overcome sinful fears and anxieties. And so we're, that's why we're exhorted in Scripture to fear the Lord and not to fear anything else. We're exhorted to be in awe of our Father and anxious for nothing. And so that's why we looked at Psalm 23. We want to fear the great shepherd and understand his mercy and grace and tender, skillful care for us in our lives. We want to look at Matthew 6 as we did and see our Father, our Heavenly Father who loves us and is loyal to us in Christ and promises to care for us and therefore we need not be anxious for anything. And so this morning we're going to look at a text from the writings of the Apostle Paul and really look at our God and Father as the God of peace. You'll notice in the final verse of our text, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Having the God of peace with us and understanding what that means is really the only replacement for sinful anxiety. And so we'll look at these things this morning. The main idea, if I could summarize these several verses, it would be this. Follow God's plan for guarding your heart against anxiety with His peace. And you can see that at the top of your notes. Follow God's plan for guarding your heart against anxiety with His peace. Let me show you the center of this text. and I think part of it comes in verse 6 where we see the simple prohibition, do not be anxious about anything. That's obviously the, the theme of this text that draws us to study it in this series. Don't be anxious about anything. That's what the Holy Spirit forbids. Don't be anxious about anything. And the Apostle Paul gives us sort of a response to anxiety that if we, by God's grace, will give ourselves to it, we will see here that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's sort of the, the intended result of submitting ourselves to this text. That's the desire. That's the outcome. That's what we want to happen in response to our anxieties. Notice the scope of anxiety that is forbidden by this text. What does it say there in verse 6? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. Respond to everything differently 
but not to anything with anxiety. And of course, Paul is talking about all sinful anxiety. And we talked about that in the very first session that we had together, that there is a difference between what Paul talks about as caring for the churches, remember, and being anxious sinfully. We, we looked at that. But you know what? Sometimes we are anxious about many things that it is sinful to be anxious about. Even anxiety itself we can be anxious about. Sometimes a person may experience a season of life in which he or she experiences an anxiety that is to them an unexplainable, unexplainable physiological phenomenon. Illness can cause that, right? And in that sense, we can almost be fearful of fear and the experience of anxiety. They're going about their day and all of a sudden, for no apparent reason, their body malfunctions and causes them strong feelings of anxiety. Does that ever happen? Absolutely it does. And those are things outside of our personal control. But we can have a sinful response even to that experience and to fear it and to be anxious about it itself. And so from every created thing, even to those experiences that we cannot control, Paul is calling us to answer anything that causes that kind of anxiety, that causes anxiety and fear with this text. He gives us a pattern to follow. I want you to also notice that the resolution to anxiety in this text is an internal change, not an external change. Look at verse verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, is that internal or external? It's internal. Will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If we're going to effectively be able to answer and overcome anxiety, we must fully accept the truth that the conquest of our anxieties does not come from changing our circumstances. We've all experienced high-pressure situations that tempt us to anxiety and fear. And in those situations... We feel that anxiety comes on to us and when then those situations, those circumstances are resolved, we feel the, ah, I'm not anxious anymore. I feel happy. I feel joyful. I feel at peace. What's changed? Our circumstances. Have we changed? No. Paul is calling for an internal change that can resist or remove or or overcome the temptation to anxiety by God's grace and be at peace even when the circumstances have not changed. It comes from a change in our hearts, our minds, just like Paul says, your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Heart and mind together there in that verse 7 refers to the whole inner person, the control center of our spiritual life, our thoughts, our perceptions about reality, about the circumstances around us, about God, about ourselves, our understanding, our passions, our desires, our affections, our purposes, our motives, our, even our will and our character, all could be summarized by that phrase, heart and mind. This is what must be changed and altered by the truth of God's Word. If we're going to be able to answer and conquer anxiety, our circumstances being chained is, changed are not what fixes our anxiety. 
In fact, in this letter, Paul and the Philippian church have encountered several situations that have tempted them to anxiety, most of which, during the writing of this letter, were yet unchanged. Let me share with you what this historical uh, temptation to anxiety is from Paul's perspective. First of all, this church and the Apostle Paul were in the midst of heavy Christian persecution. All of them were facing hostility. You can read about that in chapter 1, verse 7, and verses 23 to 30. Let me just draw your attention to those texts. Chapter 1, verse 7 says, It's right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Skip down to verse 27. Only let your life, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation that is from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. Engage in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Can you see the pressure of Christian persecution in those verses? Certainly that could tempt someone to be anxious. Also, there's a ministry setback. If you notice in verse 12, the Apostle Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, what, I ha- what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. What happened to Paul? He was put in prison under house arrest. What could have been seen as a ministry setback, and yet he's viewing it as an advancement. Certainly Paul, isolated like that, not able to minister to his churches, couldn't that provide an opportunity of anxiety for him? Relational conflict. You see that in this text as well, in this, in this letter. They're defending the gospel. In fact, some of Paul's associates in the ministry were actually preaching in order to gain his followers. There was a rivalry, there was a selfish ambition in their preaching, and certainly that could cause him uh, to be tempted to anxiety. But also there's, there's conflict between members of the body of Christ here in Philippi. Look at chapter 4 and verse 2. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. And of course, the Apostle Paul uses the whole of chapter 2 to call people to Christ-like humility rather than conflict. Does interpersonal conflict ever cause you anxiety? Of course it does. Doctrinal struggles in the church, which Paul corrects in chapter 3. Financial struggle. The Apostle Paul, look at verse, chapter 4, all the way verses 10 through 20, he's talking about how the Philippian church gave to him to meet his need. And that's where he says in verse 19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 12, I know how to be brought low. 
I know how to abound in any and in every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So they were experiencing physical financial pressures. Can that cause anxiety? Of course it can. Declining health? Look at chapter 2. Verses 25 to 30, the Apostle Paul is talking about one of the most beloved members of the Philippian church. Verse 25, he says, I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less, what? Anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete that which was lacking in your service to me. So apparently this guy was on his way to give the Apostle Paul these gifts, and he got sick almost died. The church was concerned about him. Paul was concerned about him. Can physical illness cause anxiety? Absolutely. Paul's dealing with all these things. There's personal concerns, Paul's situation in prison. And still, Paul insists that being filled with peace instead of anxiety is entirely possible. And nothing's changed for him. All these circumstances. Well, it seems like Epaphroditus is doing some better, but nothing else has changed. How is that possible? The ultimate answer to the anxieties within us is to enjoy God's peace within us instead. That is the inner change that must take place if we're going to answer and overcome our anxieties. God's peace, right? Do not be anxious about anything. Peace of God, which passes understanding, will guard your heart and minds in Christ Jesus. So what is this peace of God? The pe- Think about it this way. This verse says the peace of God, and then the last verse says the God of peace. So what is the peace of the God of peace? What is this? Well, first, it's the peace that God has. It's the peace that God himself possesses. Romans 16.20 God will soon crush Satan under your feet. The God of peace, it says, will soon crush Satan under your feet. That's the God we have. There's not one situation going on in the world today that is threatening to God. He can crush even the one who is orchestrating the most evil experiences in this earth. God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. It's the peace that God has. What kind of peace does God himself have? Think of that. The peace of God. Does God ever get anxious? Never. Why not? Because of who he is, right? He doesn't give anxious. He doesn't get anxious for the same reason he doesn't want us to be anxious. Because of who he is. And his capacity and his power in the universe. But it's also not just the peace that he has, it's the peace that God gives. Galatians 5, and 23, the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace. 
And we see from verse 7, not only that this is God's peace, but it's a surpassing peace. It surpasses human reason. In fact, there are so many situations like the one we've talked, ones we've talked about from the letter of Philippians that it is humanly unreasonable to endure those situations and not be anxious. Right? That doesn't make human sense. If you have these sorts of things going on in your life, of course you're going to be anxious. So the peace that, that God is calling us to and that God has and that God will give to us is not something that's going to necessarily make human sense. It's beyond understanding. It's passing human understanding. It's above human circumstances. Mark 4, 35-38. Let me just remind myself of what those texts are. Oh, yes. I just wrote this this morning and couldn't remember it. Mark 4, 35 and 38 is that narrative where our Lord Jesus Christ is in the midst of a storm with his disciples, and what is he doing? He's sleeping. That's, that's peace. It's above human circumstances. It's beyond natural human understanding. 1 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16, that the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. There's foolishness to him. They cannot be discerned by the natural person, but the Spirit of God can give this peace to us, communicate this peace to us. Why? Because we have the mind of Christ. So it's a surpassing peace that we are given. Don't expect it to make sense on a human level. It's a guarding peace. Notice, the peace of God which passes understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's a great word. It's like This word is, is the word for garrison, a protection by a military guard surrounded by soldiers. What is being surrounded by soldiers? What my heart and my mind. God's peace is like an impregnable wall of spiritual soldiers that surround my heart and my mind. It prevents hostile invasion, right? No surrender to potential invaders. That's, that's what we don't want when we're in the midst of a situation that would tempt us to anxiety. There's so many thoughts that could penetrate here, things that people say to us, right? Things that people say are not always helpful. Things that we hear, things that the doctor says, whatever. So many things from the outside coming in that I need to be protected from. Not that I don't hear them, but that my heart doesn't fall apart. I am guarded with God's peace. And I don't need something coming in from the inside for me to be panicked, right? To keep the inhabitants, the other purpose of those soldiers is to, to keep the inhabitants of a besieged city from flight, right? You, there's, a, there's a group, uh, a bunch of people in a city, a castle, there's a, an army advancing and the people see that and what do they do? They panic and they want to run and scatter. And so sometimes we can feel that way as well. The thoughts from within grab hold to us and overwhelm us and we want to panic. It's a guarding piece, preventing hostile invasion, keeping the inhabitants from succumbing to panic. It's a positional piece. Guards your hearts and your minds where? In Christ. That's really the, the source of our peace. This, is, this, 
This kind of experience of peace begins with understanding our position in Christ. We are in Christ. It's a peace that Christ purchased for us on the cross. We were once at enmity with God, yes? Hostility existed between us. At that place, we have no source of peace. We are victim to the circumstances of life. But then, the hostility between us and God was removed by the cross. Our sin was removed. God's anger was vented at Christ on the cross instead of us. So now, we are at peace with God by faith in Christ. So it's given to us in Christ. Having been justified by faith, Romans 5.1, you are at peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This positional peace comes from being in union with Christ by faith. Union with Christ, that spiritual reality that ties us to the person of Christ, making His righteousness, His atonement, His resurrection, the love of God for Him, making all of that ours. And our sin and our punishment, His, and cared for and taken care of. And now God loves us the way He loves His own Son. That's what union in Christ brings about. And if you are in Christ by faith, you are in union with Christ. And you have peace. Whether or not you experience it, you have it. It's your possession. It's your position. So being at peace in the midst of any troubling earthly circumstance comes only from being at peace with the sovereign of the universe. It's in Christ. And knowing that you belong to Him. You belong to Him who is greater than all. And that He has the absolute power to govern all things according to His wisdom for your good and His glory. That is where peace comes from. Being at peace in the midst of any troubling earthly circumstance comes only from being at peace with the sovereign of the universe. Knowing that you belong to Him who is greater than all and that He has the absolute power to govern all things according to His wisdom for your good and His glory. This is the peace of the God of peace. Well then how do I experience it? How do we enjoy that peace in the midst of the troubling circumstances? And that's what Paul is teaching us. Follow God's plan for guarding your heart against anxiety with His peace. How do, you, how do we then enjoy the peace of God that we have access to when we are tempted to anxiety? All right, number one. And you can see the outline in your notes here. Number one is rejoice in the Lord. That's verse five. Number two, rest in God's presence. Verse five, I think, rejoice in the Lord, verse four. I think I said verse five. Number three, replace anxiety with prayer, verse 6. Number four, redirect your thoughts, verse 8. And number five, rehearse these things, verse 9. Let's look at this together. Number one, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. Paul's frontline answer Frontline attack to anxiety is to rejoice in the Lord. See, all this text is one thing. It is. It's one thought. I think he says it twice for emphasis because it's so counterintuitive in the midst of anxiety. When someone is overcome with anxiety and panic, if you go up to them and say, you know what, you need to rejoice in the Lord. How's that sound to them? What? 
That's so far from where I am right now. I know. That's why Paul says, really, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. It's so incredibly important. It is an absolute must in the midst of anxiety, whether we feel like it or not. See, that's the thing. We so often just follow our feelings right off of a cliff. This is another way of saying the answer to anxiety and and fear is fear. To be in fear and be in awe of the Lord. That's the same thing. Rejoicing in the Lord. Delighting in who God is. Be glad of who the Lord is. Be glad that you are in the Lord. And do this verbally and audibly if you need to. And that may be implied well. Paul says elsewhere, boast in the Lord. That's a verbal joy that that we hear ourselves, that we speak our own selves. Be glad of who the Lord is. Be glad that you are in the Lord. That is, this is one of the, this is one of the most, um, the clearest examples that we see in Scripture of Paul telling us, don't follow your feelings, do what your feelings say the exact opposite to do. I feel anxious. I feel like shutting down. I feel like doing nothing but feeding this. And what I need to do is rejoice in the Lord. How do I do that? Well, there's lots of ways you can do it, but really what it means, first of all, being glad of who the Lord is, is to recite the attributes of God. I'm coming back to this again and again. It is the key. Fear of the Lord fights fear. Remembering who your God is. Opening the Scriptures and reciting who your God is. Our God is is Trinity in unity. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. John 14, 26, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. He's self-existent. God has no origin. God simply is. Exodus 3, 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, surely say to this people, I am has sent me to you. He's self-sufficient. God does not need anything outside of Himself. Acts 17, 24 and 25, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is He served by human hands as though He needed anything, since He Himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. God is eternal. He exists outside of time and All of time dwells in Him. Psalm 91 and 2. Lord, You have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever You had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, You are God. He's infinite. God is infinite in all of His attributes. All of His attributes are measureless. Psalm 147.5 Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. He's immutable. What does that mean? God doesn't change. Psalm 102, 25-27 Of old you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe and they will pass away, but you are the same and your years have no end. God is omniscient. He possesses perfect knowledge of all things. Real and potential in time and eternity. John 16.30 Now we know that you know all things. 
and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you come from God. God is omnipotent. God has all power and is limitless in power. Psalm 62.11, once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God. God is omnipresent. God is present everywhere. 1 Kings 8.27, but will God indeed dwell on earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heavens cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. God is transcendent, meaning He's far above, infinitely greater, separate from, independent of, other than His creation. Psalm 113, 4-6, The Lord is high above all nations, and His glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? He is imminent, meaning God is always present with us, near to us, and closely involved in His creation. Psalm 145, 16-18, You open your hand, you satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all His ways and kind in all His works. The Lord is near to all who call on Him, to all who call on Him in truth. God is sovereign. God reigns and has absolute authority and control over all things. Psalm 33, 10 and 11, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of His heart to all generations. Psalm 115, 3, our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. Psalm 135, 6, whatever the Lord pleases, He does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and in the deeps. That's who God is. And that's just like nothing of all that you can discover in scriptures of who God is. That is the single most important thing to answer your anxiety. To see who God is in His greatness. And then remember that you, believers, are bound to Him by His steadfast love. Romans 8.28, right? That's not an old cliche verse. All to those who love God and are called according to His purpose, all things work together for good. If God is for us, who can be against us? That is an explosive combination of truth. Put those two things together. If this is who God is, and I am bound to Him in His steadfast love, and He works all things for my good, then what need I fear? Right? You see? You put those together. It would be terrifying if I was an unbeliever separate from God and God is all these things because He is. But as an unbeliever, that's terrifying because then He's not for me. He's against me because of my sin and righteously so. But then because of Christ, I'm joined to Him. Now He's for me. Who is greater than Him? No one. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. That's how to do that. Rejoice by rehearsing who God is and remembering that you are bound to Him by His steadfast love. Use the Psalms to do this. Use all of Scripture. Meditate on it. Journal it. Do what you have to do to fill your mind with the truths of who God is and your security in Him. That's why we call each other to spend so much time in Scripture. That's not some religious exercise. That's to fill our minds with 
the greatness and glory of God. And apply that to any specific moment of anxiety. Let me reinforce something again at the close of this point. You cannot gain peace over anxiety by changing your circumstances. It won't happen. You cannot even gain peace over anxiety by choosing to be at peace instead of anxiety. There is what I call a choose Christian movement. You've heard it all. People talk about it. Choose peace. Choose joy. Choose, choose whatever you want to be for that day. Choose it. That does not work. It does not work. Why? Because true and lasting peace can only begin in the mind and the heart as the truth infiltrates and permeates a person's thinking and changes it. You have to have the truth push out the lies. You have to have reality push out doubt and fear. The mind has to change. The affections have to change. And only then will the will change to behave differently, or in this case, peacefully. Do you see? And the only thing that can change my mind is the Spirit of God working through the Word of God. This is why the New Testament writers always address the mind and the heart with the truth first and foremost, and then call a person to obedience based on those realities. That's how the New Testament unfolds. So if you would be at peace, first of all, rejoice in the Lord. This is your first priority. This is your first military strategy, your number one offensive, your continual necessity. Follow God's plan for guarding your heart and against anxiety with His peace. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Number two this morning, rest in God's presence. Rest in God's presence. Verse 5, let your, reasonable, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. First, look at this. Look at these words, reasonableness. What does that mean? Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Well, when we're in an anxious situation, it is very hard for us to be reasonable here. For in other words, to have gentle forbearance and patient steadfastness. All right, let me, let me paint the picture for you. You're a parent at home. You just got a call from your spouse and the job has been lost. Let's say that, okay? And now you're feeling the pressure. Anxiety is, tempta- is, is coming to you. And now when the kids, who have no idea that this is going on, come and want things from you, how do you respond to them? Yeah! And they're like, what in the world is going on? Right? That's the opposite of reasonableness. That's, there's no gentle forbearance in that. There's no patient steadfastness. And so the Apostle Paul calls us the exact opposite to say, yeah, the pressure may be great, the anxieties may be many, the afflictions hard and heavy, but express gentle forbearance instead and patient steadfastness in circumstances that tempt you to be anxious in your heart and angry with your words and actions. Toward people that tempt you to be anxious on the inside and sharp and short with your words and actions. How in the world is that possible? Because the Lord is at hand. You're rejoicing in the Lord again and again and He's at hand. That is one of the most calming thoughts that is. 
the most calming thought that is. The Lord is at hand. He is imminent. He is with you. He is in you. He is near with reference to space. He's nearer than your own heart. He is near with reference to time. He is with us now. Psalm 46, right? The Lord is a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea and so on. Be still and know that I am God. Right? That's the idea. He's with us. He's here. And you know what? He's coming soon. The Lord is at hand. That's the other part of this. It's not just He's present here, but He's coming soon. 2 Peter 3, 1-15 describes that. And when He comes again, what is He going to bring with Him? A new heaven and a new earth. His presence will not only be spiritually here with us, but in Christ, He will be physically present among us. In fact, there's no need of the sun, right? Because the light of the Lamb will be our light. That is present with us, right? So, He is coming soon. He is with us now. You have all the help you need. You have all the hope you need. And that's why Paul says, rest in the presence of God. Instead, reflect the reasonableness, the gentle forbearance, the patient steadfastness that comes from a firm conviction and comfort in the immediate presence of the Lord. Number three, so rejoice in the Lord. Second, rest in God's presence. Third, replace anxiety with what? Prayer. Okay, verse six, do not be anxious about anything. There's our central focus. But, contrasting to the immediate knee-jerk reaction of anxiety, what ought to be and what can become our knee-jerk reaction to high-pressure situations? In everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Don't be anxious about anything. Stop being continually anxious. That's what That's what these verbs indicate to us. This is something that the people of Philippi were already involved in. They were being anxious. And Paul says, stop and pray instead. Stop worrying all the time. Stop being apprehensive in every situation. This is a bad habit. It's a sinful habit that must come to an end. We've been dealing with life the way unbelievers do. Remember we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, or maybe last week. Matthew 6, 31-32. When we feel the pressures that tempt us to anxiety, we want to just hoard the things of earth that we feel will will shield us from those anxieties, and it just doesn't work. In every troubling scenario, we have been frantically trying to control it by many human means. But our frontline approach, after rejoicing the Lord, is to go to prayer. Instead, replace anxiety with prayer in everything. In everything. There's nothing that is outside of the scope of those things that we can bring to the Lord in prayer. By prayer, that word prayer, is 
the general word for prayer, that everything addressed to God in reverence and worship. You talk to God about everything, right? Anything, everything. And then he uses the word supplication, and that's begging. We can do that with God, right? He welcomes us as His dear children to be bold in prayer, to beg Him, to put before Him our needs as a beggar. Luke 11, 1-13, we see that story laid out for us where there was a man who had need and he had, he had received some guests. He didn't have what he needed to, to service them, so he goes to his neighbor and he bangs on the door in the middle of the night to get what he needed to serve his guests. The neighbor says, no, go away, we're all asleep. But he keeps pounding on the door because he has nothing and he knows his only place to get it is that friend, that neighbor. And that's the same spirit with which we come to God in prayer. Not because he is, he is stingy and begrudges us, but because we are desperately needy in situations of anxiety and he is the only source to get what we need. So we go to him and we pray and we pray and we beg until He in His sovereignty grants our need. The same kind of story is in Luke 18, 1-8. You can jot that down for a future study. Thanksgiving, we come in prayer. We come with supplication, bringing the, the reasons of our anxiety to Him, begging that He would work in us to change our hearts. And then we come with thanksgiving. You know, thanksgiving, gratitude, in Christ, because of what we have seen as we rejoice in the Lord, because we bring our supplication to Him, because He is at hand, thanksgiving is a, is a deadly weapon against anxiety. You know what anxiety is in part? Fretting over circumstances that we, don't deserve, we feel we don't deserve. You realize that? I, sh- I shouldn't have this happening to me. I'm anxious about it. I don't want it. I'm afraid of it. I don't deserve this. That's part of anxiety. And so thanksgiving understands that when we are in Christ, everything is a gift from Him. Everything is a gift from Him. Every pleasant moment is a gift from Him. Every training moment. These, I wish we could look at all of the unpleasant circumstances of life and see them not as what we don't want and don't deserve, but rather they are training moments from our Heavenly Father because that's how the Bible calls us to interpret them. That's a different perspective, isn't it? A training moment. You know what? Here's the reality. All of it is better than what we deserve. Isn't that true? What, if you believe the Bible, who God is and who we are, what, is, what does it say we actually deserve? Eternal wrath. Anything is better than that. Right? Anything is better than that. And so it's a gift from our Heavenly Father, a gift of grace and mercy. All of it is given in Christ by our loving Heavenly Father and Sovereign King. James 1, 17 and 18. Every good and perfect gift, including trials, are from the hand of our Father, who it does not change. All of it that we get in Christ is productive. It's productive for our spiritual growth. Romans 5, 3 and 4, we rejoice in suffering, knowing that our suffering does what? It produces, it produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. This is something uh, Sinclair Ferguson said that 
I want to take to heart. He said, there is not one stroke of the knife of the vine dresser is ever wasted. Everything God gives to us in life is always productive for his children. Always productive. Always will produce spiritual fruit in our lives. It'll be productive for others, these circumstances that, makes us, that tempt us to be anxious. It'll, it'll be productive for others. Think of the life of Joseph, Genesis 50, 20 and following. You meant it for evil, God meant it for good, and so on. And, and all of that that happened in Joseph's life wasn't that to bring his brothers to a place of repentance. That was part of it. It'll be productive for others. So we give thanks. These are reasons to give thanks for unpleasant circumstances. And it's working for us an eternal weight of glory. Let me give you a line of text you can look up. Romans 8, 16 through 19. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. 2 Thessalonians 1, 10. 1 Peter 1, 6 through 9. And 1 Peter 4, 12 through 14. We know that the sufferings of this life are producing a glory that we cannot compare. That is so precious. Heaven will bring us glorification in Christ that we can't even imagine. And the joy that will come with that. We're to anticipate that in situations that tempt us to anxiety and give thanks. And then let your request be made known to God. So prayer, supplication, thanksgiving, tell your request to God. Not to inform God, He already knows, but rather as a child to give Him a full disclosure of our hearts. He knows it, but we pour it out on Him to our Heavenly Father in fellowship in order to express our absolute dependence upon Him and our confidence in Him. And Jesus shows, how to do that, shows us how to do that exactly. Ask, it'll be given to you, right? Seek, you will find. Knock, it'll be open. Everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And him who knocks, it'll be open. He gave us the Lord's Prayer to shape our desires as we go to prayer, asking God to meet our needs so that He would be glorified. And, of course, we wrap all prayer in Matthew 26, 39. Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, not your will, not my will, but yours be done. And Paul tells us that as we respond this way to troubling circumstances, what will happen? The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We're going to look at points four and five, Lord willing, next week together. We'll look at redirecting our thoughts and rehearsing these things. But this morning, we'll just focus on these, these few that we've looked at already. Rejoice in the Lord. Redirect your th- or rejoice in the Lord. Rest in God's presence and replace anxiety with prayer. And as we go to our time of communion together this morning, the thought that I'm going to focus on, which I want to close our time here before I pray, is simply this. All of this that I'm talking about is only possible, it's only possible to gain, to experience the peace of God because we are in Christ. 
We are united with Christ and He has bought us peace with God the Father. So that's the question I have for you this morning as we close. Are you at peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ? And the reason I bring that up is because I want you to enjoy this peace in life. And we're all born naturally into the, into the world, naturally enemies of God. Sinful in our nature, sinful in our desires, sinful in our actions. And God, because He is holy, righteous, just God, must judge sin. Because He loves righteousness, He must hate sin. Because He loves us, He must judge sin. And when we are sinful, because we are sinful, we then become the objects of God's wrath. And that's not a peaceful place. But, Romans 5, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We'll read this verse in communion together. But simply think about this. The only way that you can have this peace is because of Jesus Christ. You must turn from sin to embrace Christ. You must turn from self-righteousness to embrace Christ. He's the only one that can give you peace with God. He's the only one that can dress you in perfect righteousness before God to please Him. He's the only one that can remove guilt and take your punishment on the cross, satisfying God and giving God and us reconciliation. Christ is the only way to receive that peace. So if you've not yet come to Him to gain that peace, to be made right with God, I invite you to do that today. If you have questions about that, please come and talk with one of us. We'd love to help you and show you from God's Word more about how to be at peace with God through Jesus Christ. Well, let's stand and pray together this morning as we prepare for the Lord's Supper. I'll invite the men to come as well. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for this text. We We love how how applicable it is, but help us to think beyond the steps that Paul gives us to the truth that undergirds this text. The truths about you and your greatness. The truths about the gospel that show us how to be bound to you in steadfast love so that we can know and have your peace. Fathers, teach teach us about this more and more. Help us to exalt you in our hearts as Lord and come to your word looking for you, showing that we would see your greatness and glory and be changed by it, be transformed into the image of Christ and share the peace that he has. We thank you that we can gather around the Lord's table this morning that we can proclaim to one another the body and the blood of Christ our Savior. We pray that you would bless our continuing worship. May it be honoring to you. And may it draw us to more purely and faithfully depend upon Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.